0: Welcome back into the Royals Farm Report. Took a couple weeks off, but we're glad to be back. My name is Joel Penfield, joined as always by Alex Duvall. What's up, man?
1: Man, I'm in a great mood. Um, the Royals haven't lost a game in over a month. The Chiefs just beat the brakes off the Raiders on national television. And uh, Yellowstone is back. Yellowstone is my all-time favorite show. This it, They have time to screw it up. Um, but this is my all-time favorite show right now so far. I am enjoying the hell out of watching Yellowstone on Sunday Sunday nights or Mondays uh, whenever I get around to it after Sunday night football. So um, glad to have Yellowstone back. Love Taylor Sheridan, love the work he does, love football season. So we can get baseball back. Um, actually, we've had – like this is maybe the, the most baseball I can remember having like available to watch in November – um, the Arizona fall league has had games on t- multiple games on MLB network or MLB TV. They put on some um, Dominican, some winter Dominican winter league games on MLB network, MLB TV. So have had actually some baseball to watch in November, more so than normal um, baseball workouts, the high school level have begun. So I've got a little baseball, in my life to go with the football to go with Yellowstone and we don't have to talk about basketball tonight. So. Um, otherwise doing pretty good
0: I think we can we can talk about this more later I just want to get out in front of it all but I think the demise of Patrick Mahomes was greatly exaggerated
1: yeah that that clip from Ryan Clark what did he say that Mahomes is broken or whatever yeah like I know the you know there there are certain metrics that you know some fans like and don't like but the Chiefs were scoring this is I mean this is like the ultimate metric in my opinion they scored more points per possession. So every time they got the ball, they were scoring more points per possession than all but one team in NFL history, even before that Tennessee game. Like I know their offense was not like it, you know, scoring 30 a game, but it's mostly because their defense couldn't get them the ball. So the the Mahomes takes were hilarious to me. And I'm just, I'm glad he just set his their metaphorical foots and metaphorical mouths uh, this past weekend. Joel, we're joined tonight by Jordan Gish. Jordan uh, writes for Royals Farm Report periodically. used to help us out on the Twitter.com over on the site as well. Um, Jordan, I can't remember the name of the Twitter account that you ran on your own that we pulled you from. Um, So, A, thanks for joining us tonight. B, remind me what that um, Twitter account was.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, It was just Casey Royals Prospect. Casey Royals Prospect. It's been so long yeah
1: for anyone unfamiliar um jordan ran casey royals prospects uh it was a twitter account that i noticed a long time ago and um at at some point was able to talk jordan into coming over and 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 just running his content on our twitter account um did some really good stuff with some player profiles just very quickly summing up um a lot of what you needed to know about certain royals prospects and and putting it out on twitter or uh, did a few write-ups as well for the website so Jordan, um, this is his first time on the podcast, but not his first time uh, contributing to the site in some capacity. So thanks for joining us tonight, Jordan. I know you, um, when you reached back out, because we had, hadn't been in contact for a while before you reached back out, um, I want to talk a little bit about the pitchers. And I, one thing specifically I want to ask you, because I think um, one thing I remember from our conversations a while back, centered uh, around Brady Singer, there was a lot of clamor about Brady Singer's change up uh, this past year. And I w- w- drove that train for a while that Brady Singer just needs to throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it. I don't care if it's bad, just throw it and see what happens. That's what the minor leagues are supposed to be for. But in the year where the Royals are going to lose hundred games anyway, yeah, go throw it. Right. So one thing I thought about midway to the 2021 season is what about a curveball? Like, why not throw your same breaking ball slower? Just throw a, a curveball that can get that'll, that'll get hitters off pace. Doesn't have to be a changeup that keeps them off the fastball. Maybe it could be a curveball that works. I want I want to get your take on Brady Singer. Do you think he can continue to start long term? Do you think the changeup is the right answer? Could it be a curveball? What or just generally, you know, thoughts on Brady Singer?
2: Yeah, I uh, I kind of defer to you. You're more of a pitching expert than I am. But um, so recently it was watching Logan Webb in the playoffs absolutely destroy the Dodgers when I started thinking, I mean, even their delivery is kind of similar. I just kept thinking about Singer. sinker slider, but the changeup is what gets it all going for him. Um, When you look at baseball savant, I mean, when it comes down to it, I think Webb is just a better pitcher than Singer. Uh, he's just got better stuff. But he throws the change up 24% of the time uh, th- this season, and Singer's was 4% of the time. So for all the talk of him developing that pitch, incorporating it more, it just did not happen. Um, I guess uh, to kind of volley it back to you, is that stubbornness? Is that fear? is it can you mentioned the minor leagues but can the pitch
1: effectively be developed at the big league level yeah I I absolutely think pitches can be developed at the big league level um and, and that's the thing that you talk about stubbornness that's the thing that we talked about a little bit Joel earlier this year I was blown away I was absolutely floored by his comment that he said something after after the Baltimore game Joel were you
0: I was at we- that, we were, we were at that game. He didn't make it out of the second and he got absolutely shelled by a horrible Baltimore team. I know Cedric Mullen's great. The, the rest of that lineup was terrible. And after the game, he said something to the effect of, it doesn't matter if I throw a changeup. I have to locate my sinker and slider, like I, I don't need it. I don't need a changeup if I can't locate my other pitches. It's like, maybe you should try and throw it. Maybe it'll do something other rather than it being a 50, 50 guess for the hitter. Like I know hitting a baseball is hard, but when you give them a literal 50, 50 shot are and, and it's not like either pitch is plus you, we're going to run into problems.
1: Well, and I, and I gave the metaphor. It would be like, if, you know, I'm a homeowner, it would be like, if I, you know, refused to own a fire extinguisher because, well, I don't need a fire extinguisher if I just never set my house on fire. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, okay, you're correct. That's true. It's like, but until that one day, The worst day of your life comes along and your house does catch fire, you're gonna wish you had the fire extinguisher. Worst outing of his big league career, I'm thinking nothing else comes to mind. Worst outing of your big league career comes along, you wish you had the fire extinguisher. Not that it would have made all the difference in the world, but can it get you three more outs? Can it help you to get four more outs that your bullpen doesn't have to get? A bullpen, by the way, that was so overworked in 2021. I didn't even realize it until I was kind of writing up like a, um, a summary of the season and the Royals had in in 2014 and 15, when they had the most dominant bullpen in recent baseball history, their best arms were throwing 60, 70 innings a year. The Royals had like four relievers throw almost or more than 70 innings this year out of the bullpen. That is crazy. Um, Especially for bad relievers. So they have got to find a way to keep Scott Barlow closer to 60 innings and 70 innings in 2022. And if you're Brady Singer, it's not, it's, it's not always big picture. Sometimes it is literally, if I throw a knuckleball, if I kick the ball over home plate, can it help me get one more out? Can it help me get two more outs so that my bullpen doesn't have to, and just the refusal to do it. It is so odd. Like, I, I don't mean to compare it directly to this, but the other day I was watching a video and somebody tweeted it out. Maybe you saw it, Joel. Um, it said, Walker Bueller knows his baseball. And they were asking all these players what the, the initials meant for different stats. And so it was like, what does FIP stand for? And some of these players had no idea. It's like I did, when I got done playing baseball and started learning more about it, I had no idea. Billy Bean says it in um, Moneyball. You have no idea what you, how much you don't know about the game you've been playing your entire life. It's like if somebody would take Brady Singer, pull him back away from the game for a minute and say, Brady, look at what's going on. Look at the stats. I know you love your fastball and slider. It's not working, man. Look at the results. It's not working. And then teach him about why changeups or curveballs are important. He may get it. But it's crazy, and I think it speaks a lot to the pitching coach, uh, that he doesn't get it right now.
0: I. This might be a bad comparison just because of the stuff we've learned about the Astros over the last couple of years. But Garrett Cole talked about when he came over from uh, from Pittsburgh that he learned more about his pitching repertoire in 10 minutes than he learned in the, what, five years that he was in the Pirates organization. They went, hey, stop throwing your sinker, throw a four-seamer, and you're going to get more strikeouts at the top of the zone. And then what happened? Obviously, he was doing that. So Spider Tech could be involved. That's neither here nor there. But the point stands that it's not hard to, put, to pull these guys back for the most part, if you show them the information and explain it in a way that's at least reasonable to understand it, it helps. Like it obviously does to somebody. And I think if we were able to pull singer back just a little bit and go, Hey, let's figure this out. So that you're not a sinker, slider starter. Let's let's see what we can do here.
2: Yeah. I think coaching gets overlooked far too often. Uh, Especially, I mean, in particular, in baseball. Um, and to your point of Joel, just kind of, if it's a fifty-fifty ball, who's to say that the changeup doesn't help set up the sinker or the slider? I mean, even if it's not, you know, the the perfect changeup with that unbelievable vertical break, it it could help. Then, you know, like you're saying, just get three more outs, just and the the frustrating thing, obviously, we're not in his head, but it does seem like ego is keeping it from happening. Um,
1: i don't know it it is strange, and it's it's one of those things that like you know we talk about players and we talk about advanced metrics, and I know people get tired of the the analytics. I know they do, but the problem is if you don't understand why they're useful, you can't change your game. Like people, you know, Rex Hudler talks all the time about how Nicky Lopez and Andrew Benintendi tried to do this. They tried to hit for more power and look where it got them. Now they're back doing what they were used to be doing. And now they're playing well again. It's like, yeah, but they're limited in capacity. Nicky Lopez just had by all accounts – I mean, is it realistic to expect that Nicky Lopez could be substantially better than he was in 2021? I don't think so. Can we expect him to be about that good again? I think it's repeatable. Like, I don't think it's above the realm of possibility he could do that again. But I think what we saw from Nicky Lopez is by far the most you can expect from him. I don't know how much better it can get. And so if you're Nicky Lopez, you know, you're 8% better than league average offensively. At best, like, yeah, let's go try to do something else to see if there's another level to unlock. Explaining that to them, and then, by the way, trial, fail, go back to what we were doing. We can always go back. Um, I don't know. I just, like, explaining to Brady Singer, look, dude, your FIP, your strikeout rate, your ERA, they're not good. Like, throwing a bunch of innings just because we gave them to you is not good. And uh, the the quicker you can teach a pitcher that and, and show him that it's not working, no matter how good much he thinks it's working, that it's not, that we could actually create tangible change. It just doesn't seem like they're able to get into his head. Otherwise, I really think we would have seen some kind of change. Like, I don't think that Brady Singer's dumb. I just think that the idea that he doesn't have to throw a change up, like that comment is extremely arrogant and it doesn't concern me. Like, I'm not like ringing the bell that, oh, Brady Singer's gonna be a reliever. I, I used to think that anyway, but I do think it's, it, it speaks more to the coaching staff that your pitching coach can't go to a pitcher and say, hey, you need to throw your change up more. And the pitcher's response isn't, okay, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. His response is, yeah, no, I don't need to do that. So this is something I was thinking about as you were talking.
0: So we we have our opinions about the coaching staff and the man that runs the pitching. What about the – whether via trade or free agency, the Royals go and get a veteran starting pitcher. And I don't mean like a Mike Minor back, you know, 16, 17th whole of their career guy, but someone that's kind of been there, done that, that can maybe be a voice to these young pitchers. And, you know, hey, I've been around the block. I've been in the league for four or five years. Like I, you know, this is what's worked for me. Let's, you know, let's see if we can help you that way and be a leader to all of these young pitchers and kind of help solidify the staff a little bit in that regard. And the dude – I don't know if you have any names. I have one. I don't think it's feasible. But the dude that I thought of immediately is Marcus Stroman. Because I sinker, slider, you know, and he's added a cutter and changeup at the big league level. Like, he got his changeup grip from watching Pitching Ninja and sort of throwing it in the big leagues, and it's disgusting. So if there's somebody that you want to go and throw some money at a dude that's a good clubhouse presence, a fun personality, incredibly smart and incredibly in tune to the art of pitching and not just throwing 98 and seeing where it goes, that could be a dude you bring in and can help everybody.
1: But that, I totally agree. The problem I have with it is that's what your pitching coach is supposed to do. That's what you have a pitching coach for. Like, that's what, that's what Cal Eldridge gets to sit on the big league bench for. Like, they don't let just anybody – in that dugout, they don't just let anybody's. Like Mike Matheny doesn't get to bring all of his hunting buddies into the dugout. They let him pick one. They said, Mike, which of your hunting buddies is your favorite? And they're like, Well, Cal pitched in the big leagues. We're we're pretty good hunting buddies. Like, well, can he coach? And he's like, I have no idea, but he pitched in the big leagues and we hunt together, so let's to bring him in the dugout, and see what happens. And it didn't work. I don't, I don't, like, I, I again, I totally agree. And I, a, I would just love Stroman for some of those reasons he stated. B, I think it's why they brought James Shields in. And and some of that, too, by the way, like when it comes to winning, you got to be on good teams. You can't just be a leader and a good pitcher and come in and like, oh, this is how you win if you've been on the Orioles for the last five years. Right. So, I mean, some of this is out of a player's control. It's not Marcus Stroman's fault. I'm just saying like what that's he shouldn't have to be forced to come in and be a pitching coach as well as a pitcher. Like that's what you have the pitching coach for. Like the Royals had Malcolm Culver. Um, he was supposed to be like their guy that was going to help relay the analytics and the Rap Soto and the edgertronic and relay that all to the coaching staff as kind of that that voice in the middle, right? Like, where is he? Like, I really liked that move. I really like Malcolm Culver. Um, he was on a podcast. He wrote an article. He was interviewed in an article. But I was I was reading something that he where he was talking about the development of pitching. And it's like, yeah, I want that guy. Like, yeah, bring him in. And then and the Royals hired him. I'm like, cool. Um, I also think that whatever they're doing in the lower ranks is starting to pay dividends. Like, I kind of like actually their lower level pitching development, but it's like, how do we, how do you have an organization that is so in tune, not so in tune, like they're the most analytically inclined club in the world, but that has made so many strides? analytically and so many strides in development and yet cal eldred is your pitching coach like what like in what world does this make sense that cal eldred is a guy that you want being the voice to a pitching staff that has come out of a a minor league system that is truly improving their minor league development even on the pitching side is getting better and then you just you just muddy it down with a guy i have seen no evidence of being a good pitching coach it doesn't mean he's not We just haven't been proven it. He's been a pitching coach for four seasons. Like the the comment they made about not seeing Brad Keller from straight behind him until they were in Boston. It's like, why would you say that out loud? Like, hey, I had no idea how to do my job until I saw it from a different camera angle. It's like, we can't have that halfway through the season with one of your young guys who's supposed to be like the ace of your staff. Like that can't happen. Like if if it's anything else, sure. But that like... Oh, I just needed to see it from a different camera camera angle. Four months into the big league seasons, like my God, man!
0: Desperate times call for desperate measures, and that's why I brought up my alternative.
2: <laughs> no, is I, Eldred I, is Eldred the guy going forward? I mean,
1: as far as we know, is there any reason? They, announced, they their announced their coaching staff last what last week because they hired um, Damon Hollis. Damon Hollis,
0: yeah, that sounds right.
1: To be the first base coach, he was he helped out when Rusty left at the end of the year. And then they brought up uh, Keone Doreni to be a bench,
0: assistant hitting coach. Assistant hitting coach.
1: That's right. And and, and so they and after those two moves, they said, "Yep, that's done. This is our coaching staff. This is what's going to be moving forward." And I was like, "Do we have to like decide now? We still got months until spring training. Like we can, because then the Astros fired Brent Strom, and I would have, I would have walked into Cal Eldred's office personally and said, hey, sorry, we found somebody better.'" that we know is better is proven to be better. So you're going to have to come and pack your bags and we're bringing this guy in. Like, I don't care. I I just, that's exactly what would have happened. So I don't know, man, I, it frustrates me to no end that that's their solution. And hopefully in June, we're looking at the Royals having the best pitching staff in baseball. And I will happily come on this podcast and eat crow. Uh, But until then, I'm a little frustrated by, you know, taking five steps forward and then three steps back.
2: Okay, well, speaking of the pitching staff, then at large, of, of the young guys this year, not including Heasley because it was such a small sample size, but of Bubich, Singer, Kowar, Lynch, Hernandez, those, of those five, um, who did you see the most development from? What would you like to see from those guys next season? What are the next steps? Some of them are obvious, but some of them might be a little more. Uh, some, something you're seeing that we're not. Go ahead, Joel.
0: I, I think Carlos Hernandez. I mean, that stretch he had over about the six or seven start period. I mean, I know he wasn't striking many guys out, but he just looked – he looked the part. Like, he looked confident. He had confidence in all his pitches. He was just throwing the – just throwing the ball hard and throwing everything effectively. And it was, oh, you want me to throw my curveball more? Okay. And he just started doing it, and it worked. I don't know – what he is going to be moving forward I think he's still a little bit of a wild card but that stretch of starts after really I was really low on him you know after what I saw in 2020 and what I saw at the beginning of 2021 and he and I felt like I kind of had to eat crow there at the end of the year but that's I think he easily was the most impressive of all of those guys
1: I agree that he was the most impressive, but I also think he's got like the better raw stuff. You are right; I, he found something in his fastball at the end of the year he did not have before. I'm a big believer in my like tinfoil hat theory, is that effort makes fastballs harder to hit. Like the harder, the more effort you're putting into your fastball, the more deception it creates. And if you're too smooth with it, like too loosey goosey, that it actually is easier to pick up. I don't know that there's anything to that. There's probably a million examples of that being wrong. But it looked like Carlos Hernandez was putting more effort into his pitches at the end of the year and having better results like on the fastball specifically. Um, so that's something I'm going to watch moving forward. The guy that I actually think improved the most is Chris Bubich. Like, I don't think maybe people realize how good uh, Chris Bubich was down the stretch for the Royals. I'm going to pull up. I don't have it pulled up. I need to get it pulled up. I'm trying to get it pulled up. Um, But I'm pulling up Chris Bubich's stats. Down the stretch, the second half of the MLB season, he was really, really good. And he kind of pitches uh, from a deficit. Like, he doesn't have the pure stuff um, that some of his counterparts have. So in the first half of the 2021 season, he threw – where is the innings pitched? He threw – uh, 56 innings and had an ERA of 5.4 five point, why does it have it on the page I'm looking at there it is my bad 56 innings 5.4 ERA in the second half 73 innings with a 3.68 ERA and if you want to expand that to FIP to get a better look 6.15 in the first half 4.36 in the first half second half I'm sorry His strikeouts were up, his walks were down, his home runs he cut in half. Um, He was really good down the stretch, and I think it was twofold. It was command of the fastball, command of the changeup as well. So command first. The second piece of it, his curveball went from being like um, what we hoped Brady Singer's changeup could be to being a legitimate big league offering. Like Chris Bubich's curveball has always been enough. Enough to call it a third pitch, his curveball was really like actually like a forty grade pitch at the big league level at the end of twenty twenty one which makes it average. All he needed was that for to for that to be average to be a good pitcher, and he was that at the back end. We've seen Chris Bubich in stretch and stretches I'm sorry be a legitimate number four, maybe a number three in a perfect world um Number start, starter in a rotation. He's legitimately been that good in stretches. I don't know what the ceiling for him is. Maybe he's just always going to be that guy who's kind of inconsistent, pitches in a four and a half ERA, just does a good job eating innings. Because um, I think the fastball does limit him. But there was one start he even said, um, he's like, man, I just went out there and said, screw it with the fastball and started throwing it hard. Like, I think it was I almost,
0: the, uh, it was that start. Yeah. I think he took a no hitter in like the sixth or seventh in Chicago.
1: <laughs> yes. And he was, he's in like, I, I actually tweeted it out um, w- well before that start, so it wasn't like he just I'm – not, I'm not implying this had anything to do with it. But I tweeted out, I said, Chris Bubich's average fastball in 2021, so this is like what, like July, isn't any slower. But his – like we're not seeing the 95-96 because two years ago, 2020, when we were playing the, the Cubs as well, he threw a fastball to Anthony Rizzo like 97. And I remember going, what the hell? Like did he really that, Did he really just hit 97? And so I looked it up on Savant, that end game, and it was 97. Like, But up until that start in Chicago this year, he hadn't even hit like 95. Like we just hadn't seen the max velocity from Bubich. Like he was trying too hard to command it. And all of a sudden he loosens up. He starts throwing the ball a little harder. And the results come. And I'm like, man, like this is the Chris Bubich I want. This is the Chris Bubich I really like. And I think there's a chance he's – the second or third best of the bunch of, of all the Royals pitching prospects still in the system when it's all said and done, if 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 he can keep commanding the ball like he did at the second half last year.
0: What makes Bubich interesting to me is that what makes him interesting and what makes him good at times is also his downfall, and it's his delivery. It's just funky enough, and the arm motion is funky enough that it can lead to his command being super wild at times. And it felt like at times this year – I. I that, I forgot he had said that, but that start, yeah, he just went out there and just threw it. And there are times when his fastball is around like 89, 91. It feels like he's trying to just aim the ball and just get it into the zone and just pepper the zone. And out, and that's when he's, the ball's flying all over the place. You know, Alex, when you start aiming the ball as a pitcher, you're not throwing strikes. You're just trying to guide it in there. When he actually just goes back, if he can keep his, and when he throws the ball like he should, he's 92, 93, maybe a little 95 here and there. And if he can continue to just do that and, you know, the, maybe the light bulb clicks for him and he can be that, I don't think he can't – like, I think there's a perfectly good chance he could be a three on this rotation moving forward. If he could be that guy consistently. I don't expect him to be I, – I think his delivery, like I said, as good as it is and as deceptive as it is, I think we'll hold him back from being a true, like, you know, top-of-the-line guy that's, you know, a high strikeout, low walk type. But he his stuff is going to play. It's a deceptive, funky lefty that always works at the big league level.
2: Yeah, Alex, I agree with you. Boobich was my thought as well. Um, and specifically looking at the first and second half, um, in addition to the, the numbers you said, obviously 73 innings in the second half, that's uh, a bigger sample size. Um, so through 56 innings in the first half, he had 30 walks and then 29 through 73 innings in the second half. Uh, his batting average against went down. It looked like he figured something out. And you guys both said it, consistency seems to be the issue. Joel, you might be onto something with uh, the funky delivery causing some of that, but even if you look at his number. had an okay June I, I might have the months mixed, but it was every other month was going back and forth from good to sometimes really bad.
0: And, I'm looking- I, and, and now with me the way that I, I said it, I don't want him to change a thing because right. like what like when you throw 90 to 92 at the big league level, especially nowadays, like you got to have some kind of funk, something to to throw off hitters because that's BP to a lot of guys nowadays. So having that little bit of funk does make him – and being effectively wild isn't inherently a bad thing either. Sometimes that throws guys off because, oh, crap, I don't know if he's going to throw it in the zone here. I'm just going to try and, you know, make it an uncomfortable at bat for somebody and go from there. It's like the uh, Nuka like hit the ball. Like, get it – you know, that's playing mind games and stuff.
1: There's There's one more guy on the Royals roster that I want to talk about before we hit the break. Hunter Dozier was similarly bad in the first half last year, similarly good in the second half um, as Bubich. Not all-star good, just good. He was a good hitter. Um, On base was high enough, but he hit the ball for a lot more power. I think we saw Hunter Dozier start to turn the corner as well. I don't – like somebody tweeted it middle of the year last year that Hunter Dozier is like – the jack of all trades and the master of none defensively, meaning he's not good enough to play like a big league position. He doesn't look like as athletic as he is. Like he actually, I think, is really athletic. And he looks so stiff in, in the outfield. He's the type of guy like you want the bat around. I really, I really do think he's more like the second half hitter we saw last year than the first half hitter, if he's healthy. I don't know what you do with him. So I, I was I was thinking about this earlier. You've got Benintendi. You've got Michael A. Taylor. You've got Santana, Salvi, Witt, Nicky, Witt, and then Mondesi. Does Dozier? I mean, I want Kyle Isbell to play right field every day, but does Dozier move to a full-time DH role? Does he just go back and forth between right field and DH? Do you guys have any thoughts on Dozier before we hit the break?
0: I could see a right field DH kind of scenario play out that's kind of where I'm at I I don't hate him being on the roster I don't know if I want to see him in the lineup every day I think it's just at the point now where it's almost like modesty where would he be better off playing like 100 110 games as opposed to 150 to maybe try and keep him healthy like I, I, I look at him kind of the same way. Like I don't think he's as injury prone or as made of glass as Mondesi seems to be, but it's always something. It's always been something with Hunter Dozier. Like he comes up in, or, you know, he misses all that time in 2017. And then he come you know, and then he finally gets back and he breaks his hand again. And then he goes down to the Dominican and gets food poisoning. And then he comes up in 18 and he was okay. And then he was good in 19 and then he got COVID in 20. And then he broke his hand, tried to play or busted up his hand, tried to play for two weeks. He was awful. And then he comes back and he was okay. And then he was good again. Like, I, I just don't know what I'm going to get from it. And I don't know if I want that with the way the window seems to be opening, or at least the Royals think they do. Can you afford to have a guy that you really don't know day in, day out what you're going to get from him in the lineup for 162 games?
2: Yeah. Defensively, he does seem like the odd man out, um, right field DH, maybe some first base here and there. Um, one thing I really like about Dozier is he, he, gets, on, he gets on base. He can work in at bat and draw a walk, which we don't have a lot of that in the lineup. Um, and his 2019 was undeniably great. Uh, I feel like his first half was probably affected more by injuries than the team wanted to let on. Uh, and I think that, that might be evident in what we saw him do in the second half. Um, and he, he can hit the ball with a lot of power when he's going well. So I don't know what exactly you do with him. I don't want to see him go somewhere else and have success. Um, I don't know. I kind of, I wish we didn't have Carlos Santana as much as he had a really good first half. The second half of the season just left such a bad taste in my mouth. Um, it's like one too many mediocre guys that you don't really want in the lineup every day
0: is when is the non-tender deadline or has that already happened I I I feel like I feel like Santana like especially if like you can get a Prado or a Vinny like up to speed and ready to go soon and you feel like you can slot them in and maybe put Dozier at first and you know give those guys some you know, some breaks against lefties and whatnot. I don't want to see Carl Santana at first base of the Royals anymore. I, I, I don't want to I don't want to see it. I saw enough.
1: And at the well, time he's not he's not a guy you can non tender. He's under contract. So oh. that's that's a that's a s you're guaranteed at seven and a half mil or whatever it is. That's not a that's not something you can just get out of. He's he's locked in. And that's the okay. and that's the problem I, th- I
0: thought I thought because he had one year left that he could non tender, but uh, my bad.
1: Well and that's the problem that I had You know, people when they gave Mike Lay Taylor two years and nine mil, and I was like, oh boy. And people were like, oh, that's not a bad deal. It's only four and a half million dollars. I was like, yeah. I'm not looking at it from like the way every other baseball team would look at it. I'm looking at it from the point of the Royals gave him two years. He's going to play center field for parts of two years. Like the Royals won't move on from that. They didn't move on from Omar and Fonte until they absolutely freaking had to. Like they won't do it. And so that's why I'm looking at it like, oh, my gosh, we're going to be stuck with Michael A. Taylor in center field for two years. Like, that's that's the angle I look at. It's the thing with giving Minor and Santana two-year deals. It's like, well, pitching is different. Giving Santana a two-year deal is – I didn't hate it. You know, at the beginning of last year, I loved it. And then it's like now it's like, oh, man, now our prospects are ready and Carlos Santana still has to play. So the two-year deal, you know, is is maybe a bigger deal than people realize. Like that extra year – it's never about the money. It's never about, you know, the contract. It's about who doesn't get to play because owners are – it's such a funny thing. Like with guaranteed contracts, it's like why, why are we playing Chris Davis all the time Remember when he was bad in Baltimore, right? He is, he is literally making the team worse. It's like you have to pay him. No matter what happens, you have to pay him. It's funny to me these owners don't move on sooner than they do, uh, but that's neither here nor there. There's a question I want to get to about the rookie of the years when we come back from the break. We're also going to talk a little football, talk a little Yellowstone, talk a little uh, MLB awards this offseason. So stick around. We'll be right back. All right. So I want to get your guys' takes on the rookie of the year really quick, because I think we're sort of in a – I'll tell you where I think sometimes we get a little – and by, the, by we, I mean there are two – contradicting thoughts that i see on social media every now and then um so the other day randy rosarina gets elected al rookie of the year despite having big league experience in 2019 and 2020 plus the postseason 2020 right so he comes out in 2021 is phenomenal he is the rookie of the year he was the best rookie in baseball all year um and he should have won the award good for him my problem with the rookie of the year award is how we define a rookie and here's here's what i mean shohei otani plays almost big league baseball and shohei otani is not a great example because he was pretty young when he came over so let's use ichiro ichiro played in japan for years how old was he when he came over like 29
0: he was was 28 28
1: years old when he comes over and then now he's eligible for the rookie of the year award okay that's if that's the way you want to play it that's fine here's my thing with that there are also people and i would and i would Venture to guess that some of these people live in the middle of this that think that Ichiro should be crowned as the hit king of the world because his hits in Japan combined with his hits in the MLB are more than Pete Rose. And to that I say, we can't have both. We can't pretend that these other leagues and that, you know, playing Major League Baseball for 20 games and 20 games and then still being a rookie and then also like having that rookie status. Like, it's such a weird conversation to me. It's like, do we want to pro, like claim Ichiro is the hit, the true hit king, or was he a rookie when he was twenty eight years old? It's like they can't be. It's it's a weird conversation because it's like it, it it doesn't have anything to do with the award. Like the the award, I couldn't care less. It's it's more about how we view like, and I okay, so I say that it's not that I don't care. Like I don't want these older players winning rookie of the year awards. It's more so that it's like, at what point do you strip someone of rookie status, um, you know, before, like, before we do now? So like Randy Rosarina, I saw people making fun. Like Alec Lewis tweeted and said, can't wait for another Rookie of the Year award from Randy Rosarina next year or something like that. It's like, I get it. Like he has been in the league for far too long to probably be considered a rookie. But if we're going to define him as a rookie – he has to be eligible for the, the award and like Vahe Gregorian doesn't vote for him. It's like, what are you trying to prove? Like he is by definition, a rookie. If you want to have a conversation about whether he should be a rookie or not, I'm willing to have that conversation with you. Cause I think it's kind of strange, but it's, there's, there are so many weird conversations around like how we treat these players like on their rookie status. And I think it matters for like the CBA and with prospects and with prospect eligibility And rookie eligibility. I do think that matters for like service time and stuff. So I do think there's a there's a way that it can be important. I just think it's a fascinating conversation that I was curious if you guys had any thoughts on.
0: I mean, not necessarily. Like I I think it's I think they probably should have found like with the way a Rosa played in the playoffs, in the being every day in the lineup last year in 2020. Like at a certain point, like I think play like playing in the playoffs should count as being major league service time in some capacity right it i know everybody doesn't have the opportunity to play in the playoffs but if you do i i think that there's you know i think there's some merit to that i also think that if wander franco didn't get hurt and get banged up the last like two plus weeks of september he probably would have won rookie of the year and we wouldn't be having this conversation
2: yeah i don't know what the answer is it it is it is strange to have a 26 year old rookie of the year uh, who's been around the block a few times. Um, I don't know. I think wouldn't we all prefer our rookie of the year to be 19 to be 21 years old? Um, No, it doesn't shake out that way, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the
1: answer is. Yeah. And and it's, it's weird because you can't put it in, Age days. limit on there, even if we think it makes sense, because right. you know, if you're Paulo Orlando, he legitimately like had no reason to be called up before what was he in twenty fifteen, like thirty. Yeah, he spent,
0: like spent like ten years in the minors. Yeah, he was
1: he, I mean he was old when he came up. Like you can't bar him from winning rookie of the year because nobody would give him a shot. So I get that. But at the same time, Joel, I think you're right. I think they need to start counting the postseason as service time. And I also think it's silly that when they you know, back when you could expand the roster to whatever, that September didn't count for service time. Like, you are still serving a big league roster. Like, how does that not count for your service time? Now, once you get to September, because of the current CBA rules, it doesn't matter. But I think if you are with a team all October, go win the World Series, Randy Rosarino would have won World Series MVP and not have gained any service time for that, which is, it is really strange. And I do think probably going forward, they ought to include the postseason. They ought to include September. Now, I, I get you don't want to punish the player from not being eligible for that award, but at the same time, like, there's too much experience. It's almost like it's it's against the spirit of the award. I don't know. It's 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 an interesting conversation. I was curious if you guys had any thoughts on, but maybe I'm the only one who thought about this for more than five minutes.
2: Is it 120 at-bats within the season? I think
1: it's 120. 50 is right around there. It's okay. It's something like that. Well, I mean, or maybe or 40 consecutive days on the roster, 30 consecutive days on the roster. So like they they work it in for for like a reliever, right? Because right. I think for for a big league pitcher, it's 50 innings ish.
0: Yeah, it's 50 innings.
1: But for a reliever, you could be on the big league roster the entire year, not throw 50 innings. So right. they have like it's like 30 consecutive days on the big league roster will also get you exempt from prospect eligibility status. So I don't know exactly how those two work in tandem, but it's something like that. Well, I don't know if counting it differently would
2: be different because, I mean, it is uh, it is dependent on the one season, right? If, uh, if a defensive player has 100 at-bats one season and 100 the next season, I mean, kind of like a Rosarena, then, you know, you're a rookie three years in because you just haven't hit that
1: that number so maybe having them roll over well i i i do think they roll over but a Rosarina only had like 25 plate appearances in st louis and then what do you have what do you have in tampa bay like 100 so he was probably like what five i, didn't even think, I don't even think you got
0: a hundred because he he was going to make. and what's funny about all this funny i say but like just the way 2020 went he was slated to make the opening day roster. And then he got COVID and he was out and he was out for a while. He was out until like the middle of September. Like he really didn't get back going. He was at the alternate site getting ready. And then he comes back in like the middle of September, two weeks for the postseason, and then just went nuclear. Like we all saw.
1: I forgot about that. I
2: forgot he had COVID. No, yeah, you guys are right. He had 99 plate appearances coming into this season. So it was even lower than I thought. So
1: even if that number is a hundred, even if that number is a hundred, To like you're you're talking about a guy who's 99, and then it's like oh my gosh. So I don't know. Maybe I overthought that. I I don't know. So um, we we talked NL MVP on the show earlier. They've still announced Cy Young. They still haven't announced MVPs. Um, I I do think that Salvi finishes top five. Like I didn't think he would. I actually think like if I had to bet on it right now, I think Salvi finishes top five in MVP voting. I saw there were a lot of people that were, like, up in arms that he wasn't one of the three finalists. And I was looking at it like he was never going to be a top three finalist. I, I didn't think he'd be top five in voting. And now I'm kind of thinking he might. Like, I think there's a, an outside shot he finishes top five in MVP voting. But it also speaks to, like, how important people realize being on bases. And it's like, like Salvi's not on base very often at all, even for, like, an average hitter. I know he hits for a lot of power, but he makes so many, so many outs uh, to get to that power that I think the voters and I think the, the the analytics actually do a fair job of equating his overall offensive value in that regard.
0: Here's an interesting thing to think about for the AL MVP: Otani's going to win it, and if he doesn't, then we need to riot. What do you think the odds are that Simeon actually finishes higher than Vlad Jr.?
1: Fair. I think they're, I think they like 50-50. Like, I, really, it's hard for me to differentiate between those two. Like, if I was voting, I'd probably have to flip a coin. Maybe Simeon because he was a gold glove defender and Vladdy's not. Um, but offensively...
0: Simeon was well, second in f WAR yeah. behind Trey Turner. Like, I don't think people realize how good Marcus Simeon's season was until, like, the middle of August, and everyone was like, wait, he has 35 homers?
1: Well, d- by the way, like... He was in Oakland those first couple of years at shortstop. He was awful. I remember him being a horrible defender, making like 30 errors or something like that in a year. Like he had a couple of really bad seasons defensively, and all of a sudden he's grading really well at shortstop in Oakland, and I'm watching Oakland periodically because in the summer, um, they're on late at night. I was up. I'm like, okay. And all of a sudden he's playing well. All of a sudden he's winning gold gloves at second base. It's like how did this guy go from being – a a non-defender to a gold glover. Like, his transformation has been incredible to watch.
0: And this is his second top three MVP finish in three years. In 19, he was, uh, he was top three.
1: Yeah, he's so underrated. He's going to make a lot yeah. of money. Maybe a he's lot a- more money than people think.
0: Send me into Seattle, please.
1: I, I would love that for you guys. I would absolutely love that.
0: Uh, Jordan, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Mariners fan. If you didn't Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, there we go. Someone um,
1: listens. at least one person listens to this
0: podcast, Alex. At <laughs> least one.
1: At least at one at least one. Um, I was actually reading something the other day, Jordan, that down in Dallas, um, that Chris Young may get the payroll bumped, like up like upwards of like $80 million, like added on to what it already was. I think there's a lot of good opportunities uh for the Rangers this year, too. Um, don't be surprised if the Rangers like surprise somebody and sign like a I think Carlos Correa is going to the Tigers, but, like, if Corey Seager ended up in Texas. Trevor Story. If, if Trevor Story ended up in Texas, it wouldn't really surprise me if they went and went out and made a big splash like that. Um, I think they've got the money to do it. I love Chris Young, the GM. I think that's, that's just fantastic uh, for the Rangers. So, I think, like, if they landed Simeon, I wouldn't be surprised. So, it could be a really, really interesting offseason. We kind of saw it today. Eduardo Rodriguez signed by Detroit. Noah Syndergaard. Headed out to L.A. to pitch for Mike Trout and, I mean, the Angels. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. Who else? There was a third signing today.
0: No, Burillo, Somebody... se- oh, seven oh. To 131.
1: Yeah. Huge. <laughs> That's a lot of money. He actually reminds me a lot of Marcus Stroman, and I really believe that the Blue Jays can get him turned around.
0: His breaking ball is just disgusting. That little, like, slurvy curve he throws. Oof.
1: Yes. His fastball, very – like, I remember watching – both Barrios and Stroman. Stroman made his big league debut against the Royals, and I remember yeah. Eric Hosmer swung a missed at a slider, and he turned around, and looked at the dugout, and went, "What the?" <laughs> and like you, like you could just tell, like Marcus Stroman was going to be good. Jose Barrios too, when he came into the league, like his fastball and curveball both moved so much that it's like it's like refining it, honing it in, figuring out how to use it in the zone effectively. I think Toronto is a great place for Jose Barrios to really establish himself as the ace everybody in Minnesota thought he could be.
0: And I wonder if they try and throw some more money at Ray <laughs> and solidify Ryu, Ray, Barrios. And then you have still have Nate Pearson waiting there. Like, Toronto is going to be fun. Like, I, I, that's one of those, like, closet teams that I love to watch. Like, they had Randall Gritchick hitting 30 tanks, like, hitting a seven hole for them.
1: <laughs> that's outstanding. I, I love Toronto as well. I love watching them because yeah. they – I mean, I've never seen – I've never seen. It's been a while since I've seen a group of young hitters that are just that much fun to watch. I mean, between, between Bichette and even, like, Kevin Biggio, if nothing but the name, like, was was fun to watch at times. Vladdy. Was, I got yeah, to
0: really eat, eat some crow on some Bo Bichette takes I had early on.
1: He has learned, like, to channel his inner Javi Baez, and I love it. Like, I absolutely love what he's got going on there in Toronto.
0: Like, I, I always thought, like, that little hitch he has in his swing, I'm like, man, he's going to get murdered by Velo in the big leagues. And then he comes up and has, what, like, eight consecutive games of doubles in a row and start hitting for all this power. I'm like, all right, well, evaluating baseball is hard.
1: Incredible. So I, was, I, I'm getting I ready to want, eat a bunch on Riley Green, too.
0: Yeah. Uh, I Okay, so I do want to shift the conversation a little bit if we're going to talk awards to the NL Cy Young. Who do you I, – I think it's Scherzer, but – where where do you guys go here? Is Corbin Burns like I I don't know, man. It's is Zach Wheeler. They all like I think any three of them could win, and I won't be upset.
1: I will die on the innings are more valuable than people realize. Um Train like Corbin Burns, 167 innings. Like if 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 you're if you're talking about different pitchers. Um, like, Corbin Burns, 167 innings, 2.43 ERA. Zach Wheeler, 213 innings, 2.78 ERA. I'm, I'm taking the extra 50 innings I'm getting from Zach Wheeler. Like, that's, that is 50 innings of somebody else that has to pitch, right, on your team, and typically a reliever because of, of that value that's added. Like, I, I don't know, like, what the differential would be between, like, a replacement – Reliever um, in those fifty innings, but Zach Wheeler maybe not quite as effective overall. But those fifty extra innings are massive. If it was my vote, I'm probably voting for Zach Wheeler. Yeah, I agree. Where you at, Joel? I mean, besides, I, like, I know, I know you, I know you like Max Scherzer, but if you had to pick between Wheeler and Burns, if, if that was the conversation, if where it you was between
0: Wheeler and Burns, I lean Wheeler, like very, very, very slightly. Like, I don't think it, I, I understand the, the innings gap, but I also think about, like the dominance factor in the innings that you pitched. And Burns was just dominant all year. And I know he had a couple IL stints, but even like, he was just so good. Wheeler got touched up a few times. And I think some of it was Girardi leaving him in too long. And so I think that could be like where those, some of those extra innings come in was just being left in too long in, in some spots. But I still think it's Scherzer, like from just a dominance factor. Like he's still just shoving. Like it's ridiculous. 179 in the third, and then you look his stats of the Dodgers. Win-loss is what they are, but they won all seven of his starts. Sub two ERA, struck out 89, walked eight, struck out 236 batters, 36 walks. Like it was, it was just like dominant again, and he just keeps doing it. I think some of it – I think some of, like, why Scherzer may not win it as I think people are just numb to how good he is and how good he still is. Exactly. So like, probably – they're probably going to lean Scherzer or uh, Burns or uh, Wheeler purely because, like, it's just two new names in there. Like, Max Scherzer has been a top three Cy Young for God knows how long. I But I, I'd still go Max Scherzer.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I think if yeah. you're going to factor in the dominance factor – like, if that's what you're looking at, Corbin Burns had one of the lowest FIPS, yeah. like, in MLB, modern MLB history. Like, I, I've like, – because you're right. Like, if it wasn't for the innings – and by the way, Zach Wheeler's FIP also was it, it, elite. It was incredible. So, that's why I, I lean Wheeler over Burns. But Burns' FIP, holy cow. Like, he – I I literally think it's like the best in like modern baseball history for a starter with at least like 160 innings or whatever that minimum requirement was. My God almighty, he was dominant. You're right. Like if they gave it to Burns um, I would probably balk at giving it to Scherzer over Burns, but I wouldn't like be like exasperated, you know, like shocked by it either.
0: Yeah. I think, I think it's one of those, like I don't think there truly is a clear cut favorite. Like, I think when you when you look at the finalists, uh, you can see like one dude for sure has a good chance. Another dude maybe, and there's kind of a third throw in. Like I think all three of these dudes are deserving, and any three could win it. I'll go okay, and they could finish in any top three order, and I'll go that makes sense. So, yeah, but I think it's definitely it's one probably the most interesting debate of any of the major awards that are given out.
1: I actually think the the AL award is interesting in that I think Avaldi – should get way more credit than he's going to get. Like, I'm not saying I would vote for Avaldi. I think it's probably Robbie Ray.
0: I think it's Robbie but Ray.
1: I really like the season Avaldi had too. Like, if you're looking at it, like, I think the, I think Avaldi led the AL and F war. Like, so I, I still lean, like, I lean ERA, I lean innings pitched, and therefore I lean Robbie Ray. But Avaldi had a way better season than people give him credit for.
0: So this is just something I'm – like. I think it's going to be Robbie Ray. But if there was no spider tack ban, if there was no sticky stuff, you know, whatever in the middle of the season, do you think Garrett Cole wins going away?
1: Uh, You mean if he was allowed to continue using it?
0: Or like – like, or basically. Like if, if there was never a – in the middle of the season, like no one said anything about it.
1: Um, it's possible because he looks like unhittable again like it's it's a like that I think Garrett Cole is like the epitome of why they started cracking down on him
0: 100
1: like it's like I'm it not... totally elevated his game to something that was untouchable like and that's the thing with Corbin Burns is like he didn't lose anything His his balls just kept cutting and kept sinking and kept moving it's like how are you doing this without cheating? Because it's like, the, look at that cutter. Like, you have to be cheating. Like, this is Mariano Rivera five innings at a time. That, that
0: backdoor cutter that he throws might be the sexiest thing in baseball, honestly.
1: It's incredible. It is so. And I, and I
0: don't bring up the Garrett Cole thing to condone the spider attack and the cheating, but I certainly think it's interesting that I think he's going to get dinged a significant amount for being the poster child for the reason why. And when he was stooled, pretty damn good after all of that no yeah no, he absolutely was he didn't drop off a ton I know he got shelled in the 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 lasting impression we kind of have was him getting shelled in the wild card game but he was still really good down the stretch for the Yankees
1: he also had more f4 than than Robbie Ray like significantly more so I mean like it's it's not necessarily that I think he's you know didn't have as good of a season I just, I agree. I think he's going to get dinged. And, that, and that's, that's the thing with this AL award is, like I said, Joel, I agree with you. I think it should go to Robbie Ray. But analytically, there's going to be some voters, I think, who look at this and go, man, Robbie Ray, what did he finish in the AL and F4? He finished uh, behind Giolito, behind Frankie Montas, behind Jose Barrios, behind Dylan Cease, behind Garrett Cole and behind Nate A. Evaldi. so he finished 7th in F4. Like, there's going to be some voters who ding Robbie Ray because of that. And I think, do you remember when Justin Verlander didn't win Cy Young because somebody voted him 3rd instead of 2nd, or 4th yeah. instead of 2nd? Yeah. Could we have a situation like that where Nate A. Evaldi and Garrett Cole are getting 2nd, 3rd, and 4th place votes, and a few voters put Robbie Ray 7th where he was in F4, and it brings his 1st place votes down, and all of a sudden we have an actual race. Like I think it could actually be maybe more interesting than like you look at it, like you look at it and like dismiss it. But I think it could be closer if people look at FIP and look at innings pitched and look at F four, maybe more than they look at like just ERA. I don't
0: think that's fair. What well, where is it at in b war?
1: Um, I, <laughs> I, I I
0: look at that more for pitchers than I do F four. I, got- I agree
1: one hundred percent. I just don't necessarily know. The, the voters will. Um,
0: that's, that's fair, I, but just for just for some perspective, because I'm I'm not sure where he's. i uh, Robbie Ray, Robbie Ray in B War.
2: Six point seven.
0: Okay, where where does that put him?
1: Okay. Um, I'm pulling it up. He he was first. Six point seven led ERA. all of all of the AL by a full win. Yeah. So you're right it's by ERA and by innings pitched, which is what Baseball Reference uses in their formula. That is. He was the runaway Cy Young winner. If you look at Fangraph's version of war, they disagree wholeheartedly. So I think it could be an interesting debate. Um, I think in 10 years, it'll be a way more interesting debate with more voters on the analytical side. Um, Joel, I'm going to I'm going to mute my mic here. Um, Why don't you go ahead and talk about the college football playoff rankings and Oklahoma State?
0: i'm getting a platform to talk about my favorite team oh my god uh so oklahoma state was ranked ninth which i think is still fair like it's it's kind of whatever like i'm not worried about it like part of me is just confused that oklahoma state's actually this good like i wasn't expecting that coming into the season but i i think it just i just have more issues with the playoff committee as a whole than just oklahoma state being ranked ninth we we all know what it is it's just it's not the four best teams. It's the teams that will give the four best ratings. It'll, it'll give, get the most TV revenue money. It's not about putting the four best teams in. And I think that's, that's abundantly clear at this point. Alabama is still ranked number two. Are they really the second best team in the country? I, I don't know. And what, their best win is what, Ole Miss? And their second best win is what, Mississippi State? And they lost to a now three win or three loss, Texas A&M. Like, are they the second best team in the country? Who is the second best team in the country? Georgia. Georgia's second team. Yeah.
1: I really I really believe like I, I think when we talk about the rankings, it's like people love to like dismiss Vegas. But if you talk about football and who has the most to gain or lose in their rankings, it's the the only people with money where their mouth is is Vegas. Vegas is the only group of this that can make or lose money based on the rankings. And Alabama would be at least a touchdown favorite over every other college football team in the country. It's like, like, I know they lost A&M. And cool. Yeah, Kings they lost, they lost the
0: game. They lost the game as a 19-point favorite against Texas a
1: and they Right. and
0: We just watched Kansas as a 30-point underdog lose it or beat Kansas. Like, we've watched double-digit dogs win all year. So I let, let this play out on the field.
1: I just think, like, in your heart of hearts, do you really believe Alabama's not the second-best team in the country?
0: I don't know who the second-best team in the country is. That's the weird thing. Like, I don't think Oregon's the third-best team, but I also don't know if they're not the fifth. Like, it's just – it's such a weird year in that Georgia is far and away the best team. I don't think Alabama is as good as the second-best team in the country. They, the, Florida took them to the brink. Florida, I know Florida won this past week. When they gave them a 50-burger to Samford. They got run off the field by South Carolina. Like, they're not good. Like, and then Oregon lost to a 3-6 and six Stanford team that's terrible. And they've been taken to the brink by a terrible Cal team. I know they have the best win in the country but I, against Ohio State. But I, Ohio State is much better than them at this point. And, Iowa State, and Ohio State has their warts. Like, I don't think their defense is very good. I think they throw the ball way too much. That they end up shooting themselves in the foot in the red zone.
2: Who and has? Still think, who has Cincinnati beaten?
0: Notre Dame. They beat Notre Dame by two scores. Okay. That's their best, That's probably the second best one in the country, if we're being honest.
2: I mean, I'm happy to see them getting yeah. the love. I think. Well, the, the
0: thing is, they're fifth, but the committee is not going to put them in. If right. they, if the committee was really true in wanting and getting Cincinnati in the playoff, they would have been number four in the initial rankings but they didn't want to put them in. And this is my tinfoil hat theory is they didn't want to put Cincinnati in the initial rankings because if they won out, then they were going to have to justify bumping them out of the rankings for a one loss conference champion. That conversation is one they don't want to have. So they didn't want to put them in to begin with. So they don't have to worry about keeping them in later.
2: I think everybody knows that expanding the playoff has to happen. Yes. Um, whether it's, what are they talking, eight or 16?
0: I've ever even heard up to 12.
2: Okay. So I'm curious, at the point that that happens, is it is it going to be a different version of the same conversation about the 13 not, team, the 14 team?
0: Not necessarily. Apparently what's on the table with the current one is, I think it's six auto bids. So it's the five conference champions um, and then the highest ranked group of five. And then six at large or whatever it is, which then you can debate whatever. Right. Might end up being just four SEC teams and two big team Big Ten teams to appease the big markets, but right. it at least it at least incentivizes winning your conference
1: and I not think putting a two
0: loss Alabama in.
1: I do think there's an issue of sorts with the potential for a power five school or a group of five school like Cincinnati going undefeated and not being able to get in. But I also think if you're looking at it, like from the best teams that are, you know, watching the teams play going by who they've played and the score. And like, I, I, I don't know. I wasn't as like, I, there were people were pissed when Cincinnati wasn't in the initial rankings. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it probably makes sense. Like, like, honestly, like, like if, if you just line these teams up and, and played, I I think Cincinnati's probably the fifth best team, but I think, by having them fifth, like the only way they don't get in is if Oregon and Ohio State win out and Alabama wins the SEC championship game. Like, well, I think I, there's a legitimate chance, and people are going to be pissed, by the way, when Alabama wins out and loses, or, or let's say Alabama loses at Auburn or whatever, right? So Alabama loses at Auburn and then beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, or they went out and then lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game. So in some capacity, Bama has two losses, and then they put them in over an undefeated Cincinnati team. No, they're absolutely going they are, to lose they it. they
0: absolutely going to do that. Like, they're, they're going to. The, the, no. the committee did the, the – they, and they, it's so calculated and so obvious. The reason they have Alabama at number two, they don't believe Alabama is the second-best team in the country. But they are giving them the cushion to lose another game and bump them down to four so we, or three or whatever and just flip-flop them and an Oregon or an Ohio State and keep them in the playoff with, as a two-loss team. They could lose by two touchdowns against Georgia. And they'll go, well, Georgia's really good, and Alabama played really well in the second half. And the committee really thinks – now we're, you know, as the committee, we really think that Alabama, they fought really hard and uh, their helmet looks really good on TV and uh, the ratings will be really good if we get Alabama at number four and we get a Georgia-Alabama part two.
2: I agree. Isn't it just another example of the dirty, dirty business that is college football and everybody so, knows it?
0: So back in, so back in 2011, Oklahoma State broke the, the BCS basically like, realize the the sham that it that it was, or at least right. the flawed system at the time that it was. Uh when they were clearly at least the top one of the top two teams in the country and would have run LSU off the field in the national championship. Uh instead we got Alabama LSU in one of the worst national championships ever. Uh that which then springboarded us into the playoff system, which everyone wanted. And then now we realize how flawed the system is there there's got to be some solution to have some kind of hybrid BCS playoff to get the committee out of it because they obviously don't care about the best four teams. They just want the best ratings for the playoff. They don't actually care about the best four teams because if you put like if if you put say Clemson in a regular year, you put Clemson's helmet on Cincinnati, you don't think they're in the top four? If you put, honestly, if you put, if you flip Ohio State and Oklahoma State's helmet and you put Oklahoma State's helmet on Ohio State, Oklahoma State would be a top four team. They should be, but they're not because their helmet's not as sexy as Ohio State's.
1: Yeah,
2: I think everybody knows it.
0: Oh yeah, it's the like the worst kept secret of college football, and I love when- college football. And I and it and I'm not even trying to act like too much of a homer. Like I don't think Oklahoma State's gonna make the playoff. I still think we're gonna get run out of the stadium in Bedlam because we always do. But it's, but it's still like you see the season they're having and they're not getting rewarded for it because who wants the Oklahoma State in the playoff besides Oklahoma State fans? Nobody.
2: How much longer are they? Are we locked into four teams?
0: Twenty twenty four. I think it's like three more years after this. Really? Yeah.
1: That's I like when the current soon.
0: TV contract ends for the fourteen playoff.
1: Hmm. I love college football so much. No, I wish I, they, I wish the they would. I wish they would fix the system my, so bad. But. It doesn't
0: change my love for the sport. Like I love college football and I love college football Saturdays but it's so blatantly obvious that the system is broken as as it currently stands. Yeah. When the the committee wants to say head-to-head matters and then they have Michigan State below below Michigan after they beat them two weeks ago or one week after they beat them, uh, still had them below. It's like, okay. You just, you're saying the quiet part out loud here.
1: Well, and like part of the, part of like the, the, the circular like hypocrisy of it too, is like, we can't, you know, like there, there there's like there's like a circular like um you know hate on Notre Dame and pray Cincinnati you know hate on these two schools but then like like there's like this like there's this never ending circle and, it, and Michigan Michigan State's a great example it's like Michigan Michigan State played Michigan State beat Michigan and then Michigan State lost to a bummy Purdue team it's like hey Bruce, that's a
0: five killer don't slander the Boilermakers
1: and like who who really has the better resume the team that lost to Purdue the fighting drew breezes or the team that lost to the other team that we have in the top 10. It's like, I don't necessarily know that either Michigan, by the way, has no good wins, no good wins. All they have is a really good loss. One loss. A really good
0: loss. They have a really it's good like, quality loss. So
1: really, I think both those teams are being way overrated and where I'm willing to meet you on the, like the, the tinfoil hat is at every week when there is a team that's like top 10, playing a team who's like borderline top 25 every week, you can go back and you can go watch and count that team. Who's like borderline top 25 jumps into like the top 25, like almost to like the top 20
0: Mississippi state
1: for the ratings, right? Hey, what's ranked in this week. We know they're going to play a top 10 team. That way we have a top 20 matchup and then they'll lose. We'll kick them out next week. So like with Michigan, Michigan state, it's almost like a hedge bet for Ohio state. Like that way, if Ohio state, beats them, they can justify leaving them in by saying, oh, they beat a top five Michigan team. It's like, what does what has Michigan done to deserve being top five? They haven't beaten anybody, man. They haven't beaten a single good team.
0: Get ready for this. You you really want to springboard us into a into a college playoff expansion like that? Oregon's terrible and they're going to lose this weekend to Utah. I will go ahead and I'll shoot my shot on that one. They're already a three-point dog in that game to number 23
1: Oregon is? Oregon's
0: a three-point dog out on the road at Utah already. If that, that tells you anything about how bad Oregon actually is, bad their offense is. Michigan and Michigan State are going to take care of themselves. They're going to play Ohio State. And I think I think Ohio State's going to beat both Notre Dame's going to win out. I guarantee you, and, and say even if Cincinnati wins out, I guarantee you they will put and they, they will find a way to put Notre Dame in the top four. Now I would love to see them explain if they really want head to head to matter, putting a one loss Notre Dame, that loss to the undefeated team that's at five in the playoff. You really want to springboard us into expansion, that's gonna do it. And I I would like I would hate it for Cincinnati, future Big 12 brethren. Um but it, but I'm also tired of the fourteen playoffs, so I'm almost okay with that happening just to get us out of this as soon as possible, just for the uproar.
1: I forgot Oregon went into Ohio State and beat them earlier in the year. that was also
0: like that was a weird game, <laughs> like Ohio State beat themselves more than Oregon beat them if that makes sense. like I watched most of that game like
1: was that the game where well, I- like the number one pick was out Oregon's yeah, Thibodeau
0: exactly. was out. That's right.
1: They still wanted – that's crazy. And they
0: still wanted – Ohio State's defense was horrible at that point. Like, the, whatever defensive coordinator they had calling plays, like he's not calling plays anymore. Their defense is marginally better. But I think if they were to line them up again, I, I think with the way Ohio State's defense – or offense plays, I think Ohio State would probably run them off the field.
1: Really quick, before we start ducking out of here, I'm going to talk about Yellowstone really quick. Taylor Sheridan is a freaking genius. I love Taylor Sheridan. Man is outstanding. Um, The soundtrack, Joel. I don't know why you haven't seen Yellowstone. They literally, they've taken the playlist off of your cell phone and used it as the soundtrack for the show. It is is incredible, this show is. I, I cannot get over how much I like this show. And again, they have time to screw it up. Breaking Bad for the first what how many seasons of Breaking Bad were there? Was there six? Five, maybe? Something. Like I didn't that. I didn't love, I didn't the, love the last that. season of Breaking Bad. Walking Dead got old eventually. This this plot and the 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 way they've excuse me set up Yellowstone is fantastic. I've loved every minute of it. Um I've I've gone back and watched season one like three different times. Like it's just it's so good. It is, it is so good from, from top to bottom, um, and I am really excited. I really wish you guys would watch it. I don't understand why people won't watch it and talk to me about it. Like it's, it's almost like one of those things where it's like with Game of Thrones for me, it's like I don't want to watch a show about dragons. Like I just I could not care less. So I don't know if it's the Montana. I don't know if it's the horses and the cowboy thing that people won't watch it for, but that's hardly what it's about. Like, it's more, like this is like a, like a modern gangster movie that just happens to take place in Montana. Like, this is a, you know, like The Departed. Like, this is mob family against mob family who happen to be hicks that live in Montana, right? So, the views are great. The soundtrack's great. Joel, I don't understand why you won't watch the show, so you can talk to me about it.
0: Where, where can I watch it? Like, help me out here.
1: I watched it on Amazon Prime you can if you have Hulu TV okay. you can get on Hulu TV and watch it on Paramount like there's all kinds of places you can watch it it's it is so good there's a, there's a quote and like it's full of like these like um you know like little mini um like example like there's a scene um in the in the second season maybe first season like Beth who is one of my favorite characters in the show literally undresses this woman for profiling one of the main characters' wives, who is a Native American woman. And so this shop owner profiles her, accuses her of stealing something. And the main, one of the main characters, his sister, so the woman who's being profiled, it's her it's her sister-in-law, shows up and just starts undress like just berating people, literally in some capacity, like undresses the shop owner and just like the crazy starts to come out. But it's like all these like little mini storylines that are going on in the show that like build the subplot of what is actually going on is so good. Like I said, Taylor Sheridan is brilliant. He's got a move or a show coming out called 1883. He wrote a movie, and I get for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the movie where this guy like hunts wolves um on people's farms and they end up finding um, in the movie uh, the body and they have to like investigate um, how the body got out there in the snow. And, but, but Taylor Sheridan is so, so good. And so. Is it uh wind river? Wind river. Yes. Thank you very okay. much. Wind river. Um, kind of, you know, more of a, um, a sad movie just by the nature of it, but so good as well. I, I really have enjoyed what Taylor Sheridan has done. Um, he so. also wrote Sicario. Amazing movie. Yeah. So really enjoying Yellowstone right now. So um, Joel, please, please watch it. So here.
0: Okay. For, you, for you, I will watch it.
1: Thank you. That's all I wanted to hear. So we're going to, I mean, we've been recording like every other week. Um, here in a couple of weeks, I expect you to have been through at least season one. Because what's going to happen, what's really going to happen is you're going to watch two episodes and in two weeks when you record, you're going to be like, I'm caught up. I've seen all three seasons plus what's out of season four. And I'm ready to talk about it. I'm like, I told you so. Like, I tried to tell you, over Thanksgiving, Joel, when you have a little time over Thanksgiving, grab EJ, grab the wife, turn on some Yellowstone, and uh, and binge out. It is – oh, my gosh, it is so good. I cannot – if you're listening to this, please, please, please go watch Yellowstone. It is such a good show.
0: I, I won't be able to watch it over Thanksgiving. I will be in Stillwater for Bethlehem for that weekend.
1: <laughs> That's outstanding.
0: I, I was in – so I was in Stillwater this past weekend visiting my – My college roommates—we all met up for the OSU TCU game, and not to bring it back to college ball for just a second—it was they blacked out the stadium for the night game, sixty thousand plus. It was it was awesome, but it was also Barry Sanders Ring of Honor night. So the goat, the best running back of all time, the greatest college running back of all time, had his number uh, retired and like his name up in the up in the stadium. Now it was it was really—they put a statue outside the stadium finally. Um, but that was that was really cool. Yeah.
1: How has his number not been retired yet?
0: It's yeah. one of those like, tr- well, it already was. It's one of those kind of like Oklahoma State hasn't like officially like announced stuff like that. But like the number 34 for Bear- for uh, Thurman Thomas, 21 for Barry Sanders, 45 for Bob Fenimore, played like back in the 40s and 50s. Like there are certain numbers that are just like kind of unspoken, like you don't wear like no one wears them. So it's it's one of those things. But he finally got his name. Like Oklahoma State just last year finally started doing the Ring of Honor thing. So Thurman Thomas was first and then Barry.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: Which it's still funny thinking that Barry Sanders was Thurman Thomas' backup in college for a while.
1: That is funny. Question then, it's bit along those lines. Just yes or no. Does anyone ever wear the number four for the Royals again?
0: Yes. I'd, he's going to be a royals hall of famer but I don't think he gets his number retired.
1: I
2: also- I I would hope not, but I I am about as big of a Gordon fan as you're going to find. Uh he was like his his coming up was like the catalyst for me actually paying attention. Cuz was, I was born in 1987, so growing up in Kansas City watching the Royals was not enjoyable. Uh I mean, I remember I remember Beltron. I remember you know, some guys. It was there, but I wasn't engaged. But uh when Gordon came along, that was when I got locked in.
0: I think it could be one of those kind of like the Royals have treated like Jordano Ventura's thirty, like it's not gonna be officially retired, but no one's gonna wear it, I think. Just out of like respect for the organization.
1: Because they, they announced right that Duffy would be the last one to wear it. He got I think so. mom's He got, and... he
0: got he got Jordano's mother's blessing. And I think, but I think, I think it's one of those kind of like, not kind of like in a, in a similar vein, like kind of like unspoken or like, yeah, we're not going to retire it, but no one's wearing four again. Yeah.
1: I will go out not even really on a limb. I wholeheartedly believe I would bet money on it that no one will ever wear 13 again.
0: No, th- 13 is going to be up there with five, twenty, and 10. Like no doubt in my mind. I said that like in the middle of this year, I was like, yeah, no, there, there's no debate there.
2: Perfect. So, okay, real quick, speaking of 13, I don't want to say replicate, but based on what we saw from Salvi this season, can he come close? Can can he be a 30 plus homer guy for for several more years? And if you think he can, does he have a shot at 300? Does he have a shot at catching Brett for career home runs?
0: Yes and yes.
1: Yes. Excellent. Because I think I think like Salvi's offensive like tool belt isn't like, you know, he doesn't have to sell out to hit home runs. Like his approach is I'm not going to get on base very often. And it does sacrifice a lot of his offensive value, but I really like, I would be surprised if he doesn't hit 30 home runs this year. Like it was so funny. We were, we talked about this before. Juan Soto said, he's like, I think the home run derby helped my swing. Like, I think the home run derby helped Salvador Perez. They were during a game, they were talking about how he keeps his shoulders more level now and helps him elevate the ball so he can hit more home runs. He's always hit the ball really hard. I mean, he just got ridiculous brute strength. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if what's he got right now? 205? Something like that. So he needs four more years of hitting. 25 home run. I mean, 22 home runs, 23 yeah, home runs. No, he's, he's totally I wouldn't be surprised at all if he could do that. Like, if he went out and hit 40 more in 2022, is anybody going to be shocked? Especially, by uh-huh. the way, if they bring MJ up and start letting Salvi DH more, oh, man. Like, I really – like, I I would be not disappointed because hitting 300 home runs for a catcher is, is, is a tall task. So I won't say I would be disappointed. I would be surprised if he didn't hit 300 career home runs.
2: All right, so – on that speaking of getting on base we, we kind of touched on it briefly earlier he had 28 walks in 2021 which is awful for for by by any reasonable standard that is terrible but 20 of them were in the second half is is there can can Salvi just be a 40 walk a season guy could he could he be a 50 walk a season guy do you think any of that can carry over or he is who he is, he's going to be flailing at that low-and-away breaking ball. What do you think?
0: I think this is – it's twofold. Like, the re, part of the reason why I'm, like, perfectly cool with, like, Salby just swinging as much as he does, like, if you're going to walk 3% of the time, just hit homers. It's right. fine. Like, no, I don't worry about it in that regard. Okay, Alex, you're – you, like, Vegas and gambling and whatnot, um, over under 32-and-a-half walks next year.
1: I actually think over, like, I don't think we should, I don't think we should expect this of him, but there were like, like tangible changes he made at the beginning of, at the end of 2021 that he was like targeting balls on the inside half more and like actually like spitting on pitches that began outside. Like it wasn't just that he was like being more selective. Ooh, that pitch is going to be an inch off. I'm not going to swing. It was like, If the ball is on the outer half of the plate, I'm not swinging, which allowed him to spit on those pitches in the dirt. Not that, again, not that he's, not that his eye has improved, but his approach improved, which I think does allow him, like if he walked 40 times in 2022, I would be very surprised, but it's like, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the entire world. So I don't expect it of him. Um, but if I had to bet on it, I'd say over because I think there's going to be more guys behind him. And I think, I think pitchers are going to be like, I would rather deal with the rookies than this guy again. So I'm going to go ahead and walk Salvi on purpose, the old unintentional, intentional walk, I'll I'll deal with the rookies because we ain't dealing with that again. Which does hurt his home run chances. I've always subscribed to the theory. If you're going to walk 3 to 5% of the time, walk 0%. Just swing, like all the time. Because you're not, yeah. you're not adding any value to your offense that you couldn't add by hitting the ball hard. Like yeah. if you're not going to walk seven, six to 7% of the time, don't walk. Just go up there it's and it's swing. It's like there's, there's never a the reason Javier, to walk.
0: The Javier Baez school of, yes. of baseball.
1: Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I think he actually onto to, something there.
0: Yeah. Like I'm not going to swing or I'm not going to walk. So I'm just going to swing out of my ass. And I, if I swing really hard, I hit ball far
1: every time, every single time. But I do think Salvi's turned a corner to be at least a little better um in terms of plate discipline gentlemen i appreciate you guys very much jordan it was nice talking to you it's been a long time um since we've caught up so no this was this was
2: so much fun thank you guys for inviting me i will start watching yellowstone just so you will invite me back on at some point this was a lot of fun
1: absolutely no i cannot wait here in a couple weeks we are going to talk about it it is legitimately one of the best shows i've ever seen it is it is so well written and one of my favorite parts of any TV show is character development. Like I like to, I don't care how bad your plot is. If I can buy into the characters and be attached to the characters, I can follow them through any bad plot. And in, in Yellowstone in one episode, I was hooked that like Casey's my favorite, like, um, I don't know my favorite character. I don't know if it's like I relate to him the best or whatever, but I really like Casey's character. It's Lucas Grimes. And oh my gosh, it's so good. So, so good. So, Hope you guys enjoy that. If you're listening and haven't started Yellowstone, please go start. It is so good. You don't even know what you're missing out on. Um, Joel and I and maybe Jordan or who knows, uh, Kent Swanson again, we'll be back on in a couple weeks. We'll talk football. We'll talk baseball. We'll talk whatever you guys want to talk about. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you guys very much for joining us, and we will be back again very, very soon.